Hey, Father Peter. Hey, Joseph. Shall we talk about holy hours? Let's talk about that. Listen in to find out more. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost. With Joseph and Crystal Gruber. A podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration. And carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Peter, again you grace us with your presence. Well, thank you for having me, Joseph. Wonderful to have you. Sorry I'm not your wife. <sighs> she did just have a baby. She did. She gets a pass. That's right. So it's good of you to fill in. Thank you so much. Yeah. So Eucharistic Adoration, Holy Hours, some people may have questions about how to do it. They may have questions about how to have a perfect Holy Hour, which yeah. we are clearly going to be able to provide that. Uh, let's lower your expectations about this podcast before <laughs> you get too far into it. Immediately lower your expectations. Okay, so pretty much we just did a podcast. Uh, you guys might have just heard the one we did about the history of adoration. It would have been a week it. prior. About a week ago. Yeah, you might have hit, listened just. to that. You might be listening in like one podcast after another. But here we're thinking like... We're told some people love to listen to us on car trips. Oh, that's amazing. So. Well, so you might get us right after the last one. And we just talked about adoration for so long, but like a big question many Catholics have is how to do it. How, how to, to make a holy hour? Can we, to, say, can we say that? Make a holy hour people say it father peter i don't know which people i've used that language myself i'm uncomfortable with it why would you be okay let's just let's, let's start begin there. there yeah let's, so why, why would you be uncomfortable with making a holy hour it, it well it it puts a lot of pressure on me to make something holy and uh my sanctifying skills are not quite as good as god's so it it, it yeah a weird dynamic there to say i'm going to make a holy hour I think that's one of the issues. Okay. It, it also treats of it as if it's like a technical skill. Like, oh, there is a technique, there is a te technical skill that once I have mastered it, I will have the perfect holy hour. Which I, it's like ridiculous to say, we're going to teach you how to make a perfect holy hour. But I thought it would be funny. And the laughter was not as raucous as I was hoping. I'm sorry, I don't laugh very much. So I my, my jokes fall flat a lot, so... We're a perfect pair. That's great. Well, I like that you don't like it because to me it just sounds like, and it's not maybe as polished. I wasn't thinking about the whole technique thing, which is a really good point. But I just don't like the idea of like it sounds like you're um, the initiative is on the the one adoring, whereas before God, God takes the initiative. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. That even while we were yet sinners, that when we were dead in our sins. Ephesians is so good with that. It's so good. And then first letter of St. John, also good. It, but like, we don't make things happen. We receive. And it comes down to even just the logic of the Eucharist is that we receive Holy Communion. We don't take communion we don't grasp after it well we lay people don't but the priest receives communion too yes yeah, that's true but yeah. like it's it's still reception yeah because it's still jesus giving and saying do you know it's it's all of that it's still, right 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 the liturgical posture is reception and 
Adoration, though, is it a liturgy? In some ways, it kind of is. It's a liturgical posture. We are before God. We're receiving. We're not making it happen. It's like, like making communion. We don't make communion. Communion is received. Liturgy is received. The prayer of God comes to us, and we offer that prayer back to God. So when people talk about, I'm going to go make a holy hour, there is kind of baked into that that way of talking about spending a, an hour with our Lord before him in the Blessed Sacrament that is, is maybe already putting them in the wrong disposition, maybe already setting things not quite with the right note to begin with. Like, have you ever started a song on a wrong note and you realized you couldn't hit the high notes? And then you're stuck. Often. And you're like, well, I'm just going to change the key in the mid-song. And everybody looks at you and they say, you can't do that when you're singing with other people. You can't do that when you're singing by yourself either. Oh, I do that all the time when I'm singing by myself. My kids can't stop me. But I think there's something to that. And this is because maybe this might be a podcast you'd find because you're thinking, how can I do a holy hour? I want to be Catholic. I want to do all the Catholic things. I want to pray the rosary. I want to go to daily mass. I, I want to do liturgy of the hours. And I want to do adoration. I'm going to do holy hours. I want to make a holy hour. How do I do that? Because there's no prayer book for it. There's not like daily mass where you say, and with your spirit, and you say the confidier, and you say amen, and you listen to the readings, and you and you, you sing the alleluias and all that. It's not like that. Yeah, and so this is an important thing, right? Like with, with the liturgy, uh, the church supplies the words, and, and uh, I think... I think this is in Sacrosanctum Concilium, but I might be misremembering. But this sentiment that in in all other aspects of our lives, our thoughts precede our words. But in the liturgy, our words help to form our thoughts. That the, the church, because we are one body, we are given these words to speak and that that is a formative thing. It's not the primary reason we we enter into the liturgy. It's not why we go to mass, but it is an effect of the mass, right? We become different. We become who we are meant to be by participating in the liturgy as liturgy. And that's an interesting thing. If you if you go to mass as a self-improvement plan, that is wrong because that's not what it's for. But if you go to worship God, and allow the liturgy to do what the liturgy does, then we, we will become as we are, ought to be. And so adoration, these holy hours, it doesn't have that, right? Like that's not what's going on. There's, you know, uh, at the beginning of uh, exposition, there are prayers, uh, there's a hymn to be sung. At benediction, there are prayers, there's a hymn to be sung. But otherwise... It's this empty space. It's it's this time of usually silence, depending on where you're at. Maybe you have some weird music that somebody has playing, or maybe you have live music. Maybe you're at some sort of an event. But it's this silence. You're entering into silence. And that's a modern humanity. We're not well-equipped for silence. Yeah, we struggle with that. So that's that's one aspect of these holy hours that is immediately unsettling, that the church isn't saying, here, do these things, say these things. You just 
or just given the basic thing, it's good to go to adoration. And it's good to sign up for a holy hour because we need people to sign up because we need to have people praying and adoring uh, in order for it to be adoration. Otherwise, exposition with no one there, and that is not safe to our Lord, the God of the universe there on the altar exposed. He's very vulnerable. And he asked us to, to wait with him, to watch with him. And so we, we go and like, where, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think that is one of the things to confront. So there's silence that we're confronted with. And then there's this naked vulnerability of our Lord that we are confronted with. I like to say, you know, he has made himself vulnerable. God Almighty has made himself vulnerable, much as he did uh, 2,000 years ago when he became a little babe. We just had a baby. Very vulnerable. You know, pretty resilient because, you know, his bones are kind of like rubber, but also very vulnerable. Other little kids wanting to climb up on him could and would do damage. Not willingly, not maliciously, but uh, would if they were not prevented. And they're in that vulnerability for, for us to be confronted with that in humanity. We're like, we're used to that. We're used to babies being babies. We're not used to God becoming totally vulnerable. So part of a holy hour is receptivity, but two of the things we're immediately confronted with are receptivity to silence and to vulnerability. Yeah, and it's and there your vulnerability meets our Lord's vulnerability. It's very I think one of the reasons we want to know what to do is we want to have some way to verify that I'm doing this right. Because if I at least am doing the 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 five minutes of this, the 15 minutes of this, the uh, 20 minutes of this, and whatever adds up to a full hour. Yeah, we had joked that maybe for this episode we would say in all kinds of mock seriousness, here is the perfect formula for what to do in adoration. As long as you time yourself and you stay on schedule, you have made a perfect holy hour. But then we realized that that's uh, maybe confusing <laughs> to do also, that as a, not- as a like a extended... Bit. It's yeah. We wouldn't want yeah. That's we could go through and like a suggestion. Like you need an idea of what to do. Here's a suggestion. It's good to follow suggestions. In fact, you could probably go online and you can find uh, amazing talks by priests that say this is how you can do a holy hour just to get started. Do those things. It's okay. We need to start somewhere. I look back at when I was first starting to do holy hours. The first like I remember doing a holy hour when we had uh, some extended adoration at our parish. And I signed up for like a 3 p.m. holy hour. And my dad had the 4 p.m. holy hour. And I just knelt the whole time. Because I was afraid that I, I, I wasn't allowed. I can't sit. I can't sit. Sitting is bad. I have to kneel. So I knelt the whole time. And I was afraid. What if my dad saw me sitting in adoration? That'd be bad. So that was my basic thing going into it. This is in high school. Doing a holy hour. I have to kneel. <laughs> That's... Not true. You don't Very have little catechesis went into that for what, you. What was that? Very little catechesis oh, went into true. that. Oh, that's true. But my other experiences of holy hours were a little bit more dynamic. There's music playing. It was like a Franciscan youth conference. And it was easier to be like engaged. And and it, it might even be longer than an hour, so it was okay if I had to, to sit. But by myself, I was like, I have to. 
And so there's a vulnerability of sorts. It's my own fear. And did I offer to our Lord perfectly in that time? No, no, not at all. But I was there and I gave him as best as I could in my weakness and my littleness and my poverty. I gave. Was it the same way I'd give a year later? No. And then I remember being a freshman in college and I would start to go to holy hours once a week because our oldest brother had a holy hour at 6 p.m. And afterwards, I would get dinner with him. So it'd be like, if I go to the holy hour, I can go get dinner with him afterwards, and it was a great time. We explored different restaurants and talk about life and theology, and it was I was very blessed. I loved those Wednesday evenings. But what did I do during that time? My brother had a book. It was said a Eucharistic prayer book. And so I picked it up, and I just read it. And there were prayers, and I pray the prayers. But more and more, I saw that there was time being made in me. And this is not me doing it. This is not someone saying, you need to spend that time in silence, or you need to spend this time with no reading. I would start bringing my own concerns, my own frustrations, my own stresses, my anxieties. I would take those and say, Lord, this is what's on my heart. And I'd give him more and more time. And now, I would still use those books. I would still use those, those prayers. I remember like the Universal Prayer of St. Clement. Ooh. It, it lasted like six minutes if I prayed it slowly enough. So that could, you know, so you I'd would time yourself and do be that like, about all right. ten times. I could do that in a holy hour, uh, or like these other Eucharistic prayers, uh, not like in front of the mass, but like these like prayer before communion or prayer after communion, and like oh, I really love these prayers. They really spoke to me, and I and they and in a lot of ways those the language of those prayers I'd pray a lot would still stay with me to this day. Not a bad thing at all. Oh, you you can go. I I'll share some of my experiences as well. Sure, but you can continue. But, like, for me, it was not like I ever, I didn't, like, set out to make a perfect holy hour. I just went as I was, and I know I'm easily distracted, but I also have lots of stresses. I have, and those distractions themselves end up being a lot of times the ways in which I'd enter into prayer. Well, I'm thinking a lot about this exam coming up. What is going on? I feel woefully insufficient. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm comparing myself to others that understand the material better. I'm afraid I won't have the time. I'm actually really worried that I'm going to have to talk to this one friend, and that's going to take everything out of me, and I won't be able to study, and I won't be able to do well. And now I'm experiencing, why, why was I thinking about this in the first place? All of these things are welling up. And this ba- kind of a basic prayer of Jesus, take care of this. Jesus, I trust in you. In my freshman year, I, I read a book given to me by my oldest brother, Called not Humil- me. Not you. Uh-huh. Older than us. Um, Joseph is two two brothers older than me. My oldest brother got me this book called Humility of Heart. And I was like, I, that's perfect. I need humility. That's the thing I'm lacking. I, I don't have humility. And so I read that and I was like, okay, where am I? Where is pride coming about? And I was so fearful about pride being there at every moment. Uh, and so I'd bring these things over and over again to our Lord. I'd examine my conscience, and I'd, I'd detect real sins, real ways uh, where vanity was operative, and I was giving free reign to it, or ways in which I was just giving in to different passions or or uh, being undisciplined with my schoolwork or um, anything like that. And I'd, I'd so examining my conscience, I'd make better confessions from it. But what was really transformative for me, I know this is me talking a lot about my own, that's okay. Experience. I'll talk about my own. After I want to hear yours. I I don't think we've ever talked about these. Oh, I'm I'm fascinated because my sophomore year of college, I'm like in discernment mode now. Unbeknownst to my brother, I'm thinking like maybe I'm That's supposed me. maybe I'm supposed to be a priest. Maybe 
you know, I desire to be to be married. This is a wonderful thing, but there's a desire for priesthood, and I'm thinking, okay, I got to bring this honestly to our Lord, and I'm giving myself over to Him, and I'm noticing these these things that need to be purified in me, and then in the middle of this discernment, my brother-in-law gets hit by a train, literally paralyzed, brain damage, in a coma, terrible suffering, absolutely heart-wrenching. My sister had three kids, was pregnant with her fourth. And where did I go? Actually, what is the reason I found out about it? My sister, in shock, calls me and says, PJ, at this point now I'm actually coordinating uh, adoration at the oratory. I'm one of the coordinators. And um, so this has really been growing as a personal devotion for me. And she said, PJ, I can't make my hour this evening. Anthony got hit by a train. And I was like, whoa, this was absolutely crushing. I go to the chapel. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? This is too much. And every time I go to the chapel for the next several months, years, it would be pray for pray for Anthony. And what do they have in the sign-in book at the, in the chapel? Pray for Anthony. Because there were people there that knew him, that loved him and cared for him, and they offered themselves, offered their holy hours for Anthony. And I felt supported by so many different prayers. My family felt supported. My sister knew that she had so many people praying for her, especially for our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And that was huge. And that threw off like that threw off my discernment. My discernment ended up being so peaceful in relation to everything else. Uh, the suffering of that is immense. Still is immense. But it's knowing that our Lord is present for me in that suffering. That he was encountering me. He was teaching me more deeply about mercy. I'm thinking, I need to learn how to be merciful and, like, you know, uh, you know, to learn how to get my sins forgiven more. And, and our Lord's like, no, you know that I'm loving you and you're suffering. And I'm there for you and your wounds. And it's not in spite of them. But come with, come with all your raw emotions. Come with your outright anger. Just give it over to me. And I did, day after day, pour myself out. And all of this stuff would come welling up. These wounds from the past that I had for so long would come back because of the current sufferings, because of these things that otherwise I would want to just dismiss as distractions. And our Lord was encountering me in the events of my life. He was encountering me on the cross. And I could be sure of that. Was it filled with consolation? No. But I kept on coming back. Because I lived on our Lord. I lived on daily mass and, and adoration and the, the Holy Rosary. And so for me, that became this personal encounter. And there were many other situations going on years after that, where again, I'd be bringing myself to our Lord. Lord, what is the cross that I'm carrying? How are you asking me to be not just humble, but meek? How are you inviting me to share in this cross? In seminary, I, I would go to the 4 p.m. holy hour, and I'd str- honestly, I would struggle to stay awake every single day. I would 4 p.m. Sp- is a hard time. It was a hard time, and I didn't realize that I was struggling with an allergy, the, to, to a food <laughs> allergy that I wasn't even aware of. So I can be much more patient with myself about that. But I would struggle to stay awake, but I would say, Lord, what is the suffering? Where is this anxiety coming from? Why is my hair turning gray in this one spot? 
to give you a distinguished look. I think it's awesome. And anyway, uh, if those watching this can see. You know. This is also on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen, who listen just to the audio. And if you are on YouTube, this is also on all of the places you can find a podcast. It's true. All of them. So why is my hair turning gray? And I'd say, Lord, hear, hear my sufferings. And it would be something like, I have a paper I need to work on. Or I have some, I've, I've been entrusted with a task that's way beyond me. Or my, my brother is suffering back home. Or my, my grandparents are dying. Or like there's so many different things that were like, this is the cross. And it was, okay, Lord, you are there with me. One time in seminary, um, it was during the year that um, our grandparents died. And then our nephew died. Uh-huh. Um, my friend from high school... Also goes, the year that I got married. That was a good part of that year. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Well, I mean, calendar year, no. Okay. But, but academic the same, year. Same time, yeah. Yeah. So um, that January, my, my brother texted me. He was staying with his, our nephew in the hospital, his son. He texted and said, have you heard about Sean? And he sent me a news article. My freshman year roommate and one of my best friends from, from high school was run over by a drunk driver. So I I was like, what do I do with this? And I went to our, our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And I think, why was he run over by a drunk driver to a him? Why was he not, as far as I know, a practicing Catholic at the time of his death? And I went to adoration, and I opened up the scriptures, and I, I said, the story of Lazarus. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, the sister of Martha, says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I was like, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where my heart is. Lord, if you had been there in his life, he would not have died. It just, some things would have been different. Would he be walking back from the bar at 2 a.m.? Probably not. Probably not. But it's it's all hypothetical anyway. And our Lord's response to, to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And I was like, Lord, I know this. I trust in you. I trust that you love my friend, Sean more than I ever could have. And that if I didn't have that space and adoration, if I didn't have that build up of that habit of going every single day to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, I don't know where I would be. I'd probably just try to sleep it off because that's my way of going about things. But it was just, I poured myself out before, before God. And I realized he's already pouring himself out. He's doing that for my friend who died. And he's doing it for me. And that was, that was just, that was huge for me, just to be able to come before our Lord. And that's something, every day as a priest, I have to keep on recommitting myself to our Lord. I have to keep on saying, you know, responding to our Lord, could you not spend one hour with me? And I'm not perfect at it. There are days that I, I, the whole day will go by, and it's like, I didn't make that time. Lord, I'm sorry, I give you myself and my poverty. I am yours. I'm not giving a gift out of the riches of my 
my uh, my my ability to just to do this perfect, uninterrupted, every single day, holy hour streak. I'm giving you what I have. Two small coins. A little bit of time of reflection at the end of the day, and my examination of conscience, brief one, and night prayer. Lord, take me. I am still yours. And that's where I keep on coming back to. And I, every day I still have to like, okay, when am I going to do my holy hour? When am I going to spend time in adoration? And how am I going to do it? It's just sometimes I go there, Lord, Lord, what is on my heart? I don't even know. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't have access to it. Lord, you know me. Take everything then. I got nothing. Fulton Sheen once said this, and I read this when I was in seminary, and I thought he was talking about lazy priests. Uh-oh. Fulton Sheen said that there's all these different devotions that are wonderful, that are so good, that are, you know, litanies and and, and novenas. Um, but for the priest, his prayer is more simple. When he goes before our Lord, sometimes it is just an unutterable groan. And I thought, you know, Fonchin, you're probably holy, but that sounds lazy. Mm. Says and, a man who has not unutterably groaned. And then I now I'm a priest, and it's like, Lord, I got nothing, and I'm yours. And that's sometimes all it is. Sometimes I'm probing. What is going on? Why am I stressed? Or why am I tired? Or what's going on? What do I need to fix? But I can't tweak everything. I can't do 365 days of making myself better every single day in some sort of self-help strategy. 1% every day, you'll be 365% better. And our Lord, I think, wants me to just experience poverty. Because I think that's actually the way in which we have to go about it, is we experience our poverty and we receive and we give. For true poverty is not not having... That was a double negative. Oh, it was a double negative? Is I not, thought it was a not, repetition. Not, is not not having, that is, having less possessions, having less of something. That's not true poverty. True poverty is receiving and giving, but not holding on. And adoration, then, insofar as I experience nothingness, it is me receiving and giving and not holding on. So it's an encounter of my poverty with Christ, my vulnerability with his. And so when people say, how do you do a holy hour? Is it, or how do you make a holy hour? How do you hour? make a holy hour? Is it good to do scripture or reading? Is it good to, do, to, do, to read from the, the saints? Yeah, sure, please do that. Is it good to pray rosary? You can pray rosary before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, please. These are good things. Is, does it have to include this amount of intercession for people? It can. It can. Does how about gratitude? Gratitude's beautiful. One of the things we often forget about because we get so caught up in ourselves. But it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. What is our Lord doing in you? That is what He wants you to bring to Him, and that does not need to start right away. I don't recommend going and be like, well. Father Peter sometimes doesn't read any books or do anything else. So therefore, I'm just going to go in there and not do anything and come to grips with my poverty and go crazy. That is my takeaway. Don't do that. That is not my takeaway. If you want to, kneel the whole time. 
I don't care. If you want to, find you a can. beautiful book of prayers. Pray the Stations of the Cross in your pew. Uh, I mean, if nobody else is around. It gets weird, though. I, that's a, that's another question. Okay. Okay. You don't want to be in the chapel. Uh, pro tip, don't if you're in alone in the Adoration Chapel, don't do things that would be weird if someone else came in. So is it a beautiful thing to pray prostrate before our Lord of the Blessed Sacrament? Yeah. Is it weird for other people? It might be. And it's okay. Depending on the setting, depending on the layout. Yes, that's true. It's true. So make make your yeah. judgment call. Make your choice. You got to figure that out. But you don't need to stick to a programmed way of going about it. But if that's helpful, please do that. But just remember, it is our Lord and he wants you. You don't need to skip to you know you know like grasping after some sort of extra experience i don't think the way in which i go before the lord is always full of the best and the best i can give our lord but i'll give him what i can so yeah how to make a holy hour how to do a holy hour and the big the biggest thing is just come come to me all you who labor and have you burdened and i will give you rest not me Jesus. Good clarification. Yeah. Okay, Joseph, you're my older brother. What? What has been your experience of adoration? Nobody, nobody believes that I am older than you. Go on. I look so youthful. I have more gray hairs. Do you? I'm not sure if that's true anymore. It's more concentrated. It's definitely more concentrated. I will give you that. Got a... My association is with Rogue from X-Men, the movie. Better that than an animal. Yeah, no, no, no. That would be a different kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, what is your experience of adoration? Well, hearing your story, I I was reflecting a little bit on mine because my mind wandered. And I also knew that you might ask me. So I thought a little bit. And I was was thinking through high school experiences. I, I remember... There was a deacon at the parish when we had adoration sometime for youth group. And he said, you know, we're about to be before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And and something to know about our Lord is uh, you will never be truly worthy to receive him, but to never receive him unworthily. I was like, that sounds almost like a contradiction, but you seem wise, so I will pay attention. And so that that was a, an experience of adoration where I, I was mostly, I didn't really know what to do. I was mostly out of the corner of my eye looking to see what other people were doing. Other people knelt or sat. So I did those things. And uh, yeah, I, another high school memory is that someone uh, told me that they had had a dream just of mass where during the elevation the priest stopped and said this is important pay attention it was very meaningful to them and it was meaningful to me too because i i i don't know we were we're social creatures we're influenced by what other people find important we we understand values through other people evaluating uh but when i went to college we i didn't go to the same college as you at the beginning I'm two years ahead of you in school, or was at the time. And I went to a very secular 
institution, a very secular university. In my freshman year, I would go to Sunday Mass, and every once in a while I would go to daily Mass if I just needed to get away from... I, I was studying the liberal arts in a very secular university. It was kind of caustic to my, both my mind and probably my body, because I wasn't, you know, eating anything healthy, and uh, definitely to my soul as well. And one of the things that I did is in my wallet, I, you know, we're a somewhat musical family, and I was in musicals, and I was in the marching band, we would sing songs, and I, I had printed out on one piece of paper just a number of songs that I really liked that I didn't have committed to memory. And I had this realization, you know, you're Catholic, Joseph. You're, you, you should actually have something more than just random song lyrics, like really nailing down what happens in the fifth verse of American Pie, which, you know, is interesting. So I also went and I found beautiful prayers and made another sheet of paper that I folded up and put in my wallet. My wallet was very thick, whatever. Um, and so I had these prayers and I had songs and every once in a while I would take them out and look at them and maybe pray them. And when I would go to a daily mass, it would be at this chapel that had adoration perpetually other than when mass was going on. And so if I stuck around after mass, adoration would begin and I didn't really understand what it was, even though I had a little bit of experience of it in, in high school. But I saw some people stuck around. So every once in a while, when I wasn't you know, rushing to my next class or meal, I would stick around. And I would just pull out that piece of paper and read the prayers. And that was what I was doing my freshman year. Sophomore year, Catholic missionaries came to the, my campus. And I got involved with them, in large part because... Uh, the the friendships that I had formed at that university, the classes I was taking at that university, they they weren't building me up. They weren't helping me become a better person. Not that it's all about me, but if it's actually detrimental, that's kind of a bad sign. And these missionaries would be making holy hours at this chapel. Making holy hours, yeah slipping in the language <clears throat> pardon me these things happen and so that that was a curious thing these people are praying and they're praying for a concerted period of time regularly daily it sounded like and so every once in a while I would hang around longer and longer and I saw other people had books and one thing that I've done since a very small child is I've enjoyed books and this chapel also had a Newman Center attached to it, or Newman Center was, or Newman Center had a chapel attached to it, whatever language you want to use. And so I, um, I went and found that they had some books, and so I took out some books that seemed relevant to questions that I had, and I would sit in the chapel and I would just read. And that was what I did for my sophomore year. My junior year, I was starting to lead Bible studies. And the thing about Bible studies was that I wanted to know what I was talking about. So now my reading had a lot more purpose rather than just aimless pouring through different kinds of chapters and things. It suddenly became, 
oh, here's this passage. I should know more about this. These guys are going to have questions. I need the answers. And so it became a time of quiet study. And that was a lot of my junior year, was if I'm going to the chapel, it's with a stack of books relevant to what we're doing, whether it be uh, you know a, a volume of Thomas Aquinas's Catena Aria, commenting on the Gospels, or whether it was uh, somebody going through sacramental theology because we were doing a Bible study on sacraments. This is what my junior year was. It was time before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament was time to prepare for a Bible study. <laughs> um, and to pray, you know, Lord, you know, be with me in this. Lord, hey, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I would talk to him a little bit at the beginning and then again at the end, like, oh, hey, Lord, it's been like an hour or so. I, I need to get going. See you later. So not 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 especially prayerful, but it was time spent before our Lord. And then my senior year of college, uh, a missionary asked me a question that gave me some pause. He asked me if I were joyful, and my initial answer was sort of glib. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm joyful. Why not? It was a fine, like, October-ish day in Pittsburgh, which meant cloudy and not too hot. My favorite. And we were on our way to go get Italian ice from an Italian ice vendor. Vendor, we'll say. And uh, he, he pressed me on it. He said, no, but are you joyful? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm a, a senior in college now. I... Uh, I had actually transferred from that more secular university to the university that now Father Peter also went to. Uh, so I was the senior, then we had another brother who was a junior slash senior because he was finishing in three years, and then Father Peter, and then another brother. All four of us at the same university. I was a senior. I was the president of the Newman Club, which was kind of neat. I was leading a Bible study. I was in a Bible study. And I was also mentoring another guy who was starting a Bible study. And we had just had what we call fall outreach, this intense period of a week or so where we meet as many freshmen and other people and invite them to things and get to know them and, and make them feel part of both the larger community of the university, but also the particular Catholic community. I think that, that all went really well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I I don't have any reason not to be joyful, was my answer. He's like, well, but are you joyful? And in that moment, uh, I realized nobody had ever asked me that question before. And it, it struck me that he knew that I wasn't. He knew that a lot of what I was doing was going through the motions. That it looked good on paper, which was my second answer, everything looks good on paper. But it wasn't actually addressing anything deeper. It wasn't addressing my vanity or my pride. It wasn't addressing my lust. It wasn't addressing my gluttony. It wasn't actually impacting uh, me 
in the way that our faith is meant to. And so I said, you know, I no, I'm, I'm not joyful. I'm not even sure if I know what joy is, except that I've seen it in other people. He's like, well, that's a bit of a problem because you're in leadership and, you know, the Christian life is supposed to be joyful. I'm like, Yeah, it sounds kind of problematic when you put it that way. I, I'll give you that. And uh, we chatted for a while more and, and I asked, well, so what, what do I do? I, I now know that I have a problem. That is not the same thing as having a solution. That is worse than not knowing that I have a problem in some ways because it's like, oh, but now I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, do you pray? And I said, well, funny thing that I go into the chapel and I kneel and I sit and I read and I think, does that count? He's like, well, maybe that's a good place to start. Why don't you go to the chapel and just take it up with Jesus? Ask him why you're not joyful. Just go. He's like, all right. I, I can do that. Having a next step, ladies and gentlemen, is a helpful thing. And that was my next step for probably weeks. And uh, it was during that time that uh, our brother-in-law had the accident with the train, where I was not only going into the chapel and asking, why am I not joyful? I was also asking, like, what what is going on with my sister who is going through excruciating pain? Uh the potential loss of a husband, the fact that she was pregnant with their fourth, the fact that she was caring for all three of the other kids while he was in a coma. All of this was going on, and I wasn't joyful. It's like, so Lord, now I have at least two problems here, if not more, that I would really appreciate some, some, uh, some insight into, some answers, if this is supposed to be a two-way conversation, this is where you speak up. Because I'm pretty sure I've been forthright with you that I've got a problem and I don't have a solution. And I, I, I would continue to do that. I would continue to go to the chapel to spend time with our Lord and to just keep reiterating. And uh, there was there was a day when... I looked not just at the Eucharist, but I was looking at the crucifix. And I suppose I've seen crucifixes my entire life. They were in our home. They were in our church. Well, there was a Resurucifix, whatever. Christ the King crucifix. Christ the King crucifix, yeah, in our uh, home parish growing up. But crucifixes were ubiquitous, so much so that maybe I never really paid attention to them. And I had this realization that our Lord, that he was experiencing agony, that this was an incredibly painful thing that I had spent virtually no time thinking about. And I was like, this is really bad. And it, I, it, it hit me that all of the things that I had ever done wrong were represented in his pain. 
that he was experiencing all of the pain of my sin. It's like, this is not good. If this is Catholicism, this seems bad. But in that moment, and this was a a pretty big moment for me, uh, it was as It was as if he were looking directly at me from the crucifix. And like the one thing not damaged by my sin was his loving gaze, that he could look at me with love and that he could love me in the midst of suffering and that he could find me worthy of love, me who was a source of pain could be a source of uh, could be a, an object of love could be a, a person that he could look upon with love and I, I didn't realize that up to that point that the the passion of our Lord was so personal a thing for him and for me and that he wanted it to be a personal thing he wanted me to know this is a personal thing. It's for everyone, which means that it is for you. And I, I didn't know how much I was loved when I felt least worthy of love. And like so, so that's what our faith is about when we talk about the sacraments flowing from the side of Christ in the Eucharist when we talk about the Mass being a participation in the sacrifice of the cross, when we uh, say that this this sacrifice of the cross is the source and summit of our faith, it's, it's about being loved by the one that we have sinned against and being capable of receiving that love and being forgiven for that which we have done. I was like, oh, that's suddenly actually a worthwhile thing to talk to people about. <laughs> that's actually a, a thing worth helping people to understand. That's something worth, you know, years of my life to let people know that they are loved by a God who is so good that he loves those the the line in Ephesians that while we were yet dead in our sins that that he he came to us that he loved us that he chose us and we're like we weren't just dead in our sins we were killing in our sins we, we our our sins are are deadly they they are um they're toxic they're they're not good they do not make for a thriving life at the very least and his love is greater his love is more his love is a purifying love his love is uh is worth changing for and so from that point suddenly things that were more me going through the motions were more me wanting to do wanting to to share wanting to participate in and um 
not to say like, oh, I always want to go to the chapel to pray, or oh, I always want to make time for Mass, or oh, I always want to reach out to this guy who has been unresponsive for the past few weeks. Not to say that, but to say that I was actually entering into the Christian life rather than keeping it at, at arm's out of at arm's reach or arm's length. Arm's length. Is that the idiom? Yeah. At arm's length. And uh yeah, so that was that was huge. That was enough for me to say these conversations that I'm having with these men studying the Bible, helping them to reach out on campus, reaching out myself on campus, talking to classmates. This is actually more important than the philosophy and the English literature that I'm studying and writing about. It's actually more transformative than most of the things that I'm reading. It's more practical than all of the classes that I'm taking combined. And, uh, and that was uh, when I started to wonder, maybe I was called to, to do this instead of continuing on with my education or getting credentialed to be a teacher, that uh, maybe it would be worth giving two years of my life to be a missionary on college campuses because that's where I met our Lord in the way that was the most life-changing. And, uh, and the fact that it was in adoration, that it was before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, he was present to me the entire time, waiting for me to look up, waiting for me to realize he was there, waiting for me to realize that he loved me, that he was looking at me, that he was waiting for his gaze to be met by my gaze. That, uh, yeah, two, three, four, five, six, 14 years of my life were, were worth working for a Catholic missionary organization to try to help other guys to realize they've got a problem without a solution that they can make on their own, that the solution that they are really longing for is our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament who loves them, who desires them who knows everything wrong that they've ever done, has experienced it more purely than they have, and still loves and forgives them. Like this notion, like our Lord was saying, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. He knew exactly what they were doing. And he forgave them still. Like there, there was no span of time between the sin and the forgiveness. Our Lord's heart was open to everyone, which meant vulnerable to everyone, which meant uh, wounded by pretty much everyone he ever came across. And he loved them still. Um, and continues to be vulnerable, that this is what is confronted by us when we walk into a chapel or a church where adoration is happening. That he continues to not only uh, be uh, vulnerable in the sense that he experienced the agony of the cross, but like as he said to Saul on the way to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He experiences that which the body of Christ experiences 
that he, he willingly, he wants to participate in our lives. He wants to be there to be with us more than we want to be with him, clearly, evidently. Like, we, we don't want as, as much as we ought to. I don't want to speak for you, dear listener. You, you may have a better configured heart than mine. I don't want it as much as I ought to. And that's been one of the things coming into parish life in the past few years, being married with children. Uh, holy hours have actually fallen off more and more. The past few weeks with, I mean, the past week has been a blur. We had a baby. I, yeah. Joseph and Crystal did not. No, not, not, yeah. Yeah, the, the we is, is, is on, on him and Crystal. Yeah. We are the hosts of the podcast, Joseph and Crystal Gruber. That's what's on the... That's right. We'll put you as like a co-host or something. For this one episode. For this one episode. Yeah. Not for every episode. We're only on a few of them. That's right. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for sharing that because it's... I mean, we both have gone through similar situations and see how our Lord works in our hearts. We were in the same chapel. Yeah, that's right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there have been other things that have been helpful along the way. Oh, yeah. Like, I still take scripture to my holy hour to pray with that I'll be studying with men, mm-hmm. but not to study it, but to talk to our Lord about it. And it's a very different thing talking to not only the author of scripture, but the main character of the book. It's That's a right. very different thing than doing a literary analysis on my own. And I'm not going to lie, I do think about what I'm going to preach about Yeah, in my holy hours. I wondered, because before the baptism, before you went to pray, you didn't know what you were going to preach on. And then after you went and prayed, you knew what you were going to preach on. And I wondered. That sometimes happens. Yeah. So... Yeah, evidently. So, like, yeah. what we do in the, the holy hour, I, sure. I, I spend a lot of time in Scripture in my holy hours that is continue to be a font of grace for me but to be with the word um, as revealed in in sacred scripture and to be with the word as revealed through the sacrament that's 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 really good that is a really good place to be it it is not uh, something to sneeze at when I hear your story and I reflect on, on my own story, my, my encounter with Christ and Eucharistic adoration especially, I'm, uh, I think of um, uh, that concept of reverence that we talked about um, one of the last times, not the time uh, last week, but the time... Um, like a year or so uh, ago? About a year and a half ago, I think. Was it that long? It was a long time ago. Wow. Where we, we met and we talked about personal influence. And there was a quote from Dietrich von Hildebrand about reverence. Now we think reverence, and okay, reverence is being really careful and making sure to do our genuflections very, very neat, and uh, you know, showing so much respect. But that's not what real reverence is, according to Dietrich von Hildebrand. He said that reverence is giving space. To allow a being to unfold itself. And when we go before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and Eucharistic Adoration, yes, we are reverent. And we, we observe everything. We do the genuflections and we 
and we uh, we kneel as, as much as we can, maybe not the whole hour, but we, we do, we are reverent. But the important thing is that we give him space to unfold himself and simultaneously Christ gives us space to unfold. I am a mystery unto myself, and I still am, but Christ knows me through and through. He is closer to me than I am to myself. And he is reverent towards me as he is reverent towards you, letting you unfold, letting you experience the depths of his love for you so that that love can be come through as joy that can be spread in order to live out a missionary life. I think that is one of the great fruits of adoration and, and how to make a holy hour, how to go about adoration. Be reverent. And allow Christ to be reverent towards you. I wanted to give another practical thing Go as a tip, it. as a pro tip, not to take anything away from your other kind of tip. I don't know what kind of tip that was. Yeah. It was an amateur tip. Ah. Now you're going to hear from the professional. Go on. And, uh, and, and to say one of the things that I think I noticed when I went from being an on-campus Catholic missionary to a parish missionary without any teammates is that praying uh, is a, it, a holy hour is a very personal thing. It is a very personal thing. There is a communal element to it, though, in the sense of the kind of culture that we create when we are with other people, when we are involved in a community where other people are taking the time daily or at least weekly for this silence, this reverent silence with our Lord versus when we are not in that kind of community. And I think that's one of the difficulties that a lot of people will face moving either from uh, one state of light to life to another state of life or whether it be moving from one city to another city or from one university to a job is that community matters one of the great things about having a team of people or a community of people who are dedicated to prayer is that it makes it all the more easier to take the time yourself and to be in a community where that's not the norm, where that's not even on most people's radar. That is unsettling and it would be a dishonest to say that it, it is not unsettling. And that's, I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, you having a community of priests who are prayerful does lend itself to you being more prayerful. Yeah, that's certainly true. Me having a wife who prays lends myself to being more prayerful. Uh, not living as close to uh, adoration as we used to, um, now it's oftentimes much more making time with our Lord in the Word as revealed in divine scripture without his sacramental presence. And that isn't as ideal. And I think if there were more of a community of people going to adoration, that we would probably make the time and effort because one of the th the very first thing that I brought up is that, well, maybe the second thing, in my own story is that somebody important to me 
told me that he now thought that the Eucharist was important. That's that's a, that's an important thing. Oh, that sounded redundant. Sorry. I wish I could edit this, but we don't honestly, I don't have the technology or the time. But but we we need people who have shared values and and people when they talk about shared values I don't know if most people know what they mean when they say that and I I mean something a little bit more uh particular when I say the shared values where the kinds of choices they're making are are based on the same kinds of reasoning they have the same sort of hierarchy of value and we share that hierarchy and we also want to make those kinds of decisions and that's not what we find. I mean, we don't find community most places anyway. And where we do find any kind of vestiges of community, oftentimes we sort of settle for what we find. But to be able to say, no, I will I will stake my flag in this. I will let other people know this is important so they can see that somebody knows that it's important and that may have an impact on them. Very often, it, the person that needs to take the next step is yourself. There's many others that are likewise in the same situation, wanting others to step up. So don't just wait for other people to do it. Yeah. Commit yourself now. Now is the time. Now is a great time. Now is the time to say, well, I don't know what time it is when you're listening to this, but it might be the end of the day. You might not have time today to look at to tomorrow and say, all right, where is the nearest adoration chapel? Is there one nearby? If there isn't one, who is the first person I can talk to about that? Can we have a monthly adoration night? Can we have a monthly adoration early morning? Can we have a weekly, daily, multiple hours, multiple days in a row, 40 hours? Perpetual. Perpetual. And then the next step, whatever that next step might be. That's right. Well, you brought this full circle to the previous podcast. Which I feel pretty good about. Very good. Well, thank you, Joseph, for having me on. This has been tremendous. I've always appreciated getting to talk with you. Mm. We probably should talk more often outside of podcasts. No, this is the only place in time. Okay. With the microphone in front of us, headphones on, this is this is the way. This is the way. No, but it has been quite the joy to have this discussion with you, to hear more about your story, to be able to share mine a little bit more, and to share with everyone else. Like, were any of those holy hours perfect? Like that's a, that's a weird question. It's like saying you doesn't know, matter. Better if it doesn't feel perfect. Yeah, was any date with your wife perfect? You husbands out there, like, is that is that what you're thinking about? Is that what you should be thinking about? Who is the focus there? It's, it's, it's a little yeah, little self-centering. Yep. Anyway, we can't give you a recipe for a perfect holy hour. We can't teach you how to make a holy hour. Well, the, the recipe is one ingredient. Showing up? Christ. Uh, well, no, two, because we're and not there. you have to show up. Yeah, so that's two. Ah, uh, that's right. Christ, <laughs> participation. Two ingredients. Two ingredients. Jesus and you. Yeah. So, I know sometimes my wife likes to talk about like a call to action at the end of an episode. Sign up for a holy hour. Sign up for a holy hour. 
If you have thoughts about Eucharistic adoration or questions about how to get something like that started, because when I began as a student at that Newman Center with the chapel that now has perpetual Eucharistic adoration, they didn't have nighttime hours every night or even... Do you know who the first coordinator of all the nighttime hours was? I have a suspicion who the first one was. Now Father Peter Gruber. And so, like, these things do build up. If if this is not available in your area and you want to talk through things like this, feel free to give us an email at hello at our outpost.org. You can reach out to this guy. He is one of the chaplains at the University of Pittsburgh. If you live in the Pittsburgh area, you should check out Mass, Adoration, and Confession at the Pittsburgh Oratory. Or if you're driving through Pittsburgh, I'm sorry about the roads and about the traffic. Make a detour and stop by the Pittsburgh Oratory. Very good. <laughs> I don't know why I apologized about the roads and traffic. Yeah, the traffic honestly might not be that bad. Couldn't, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Compared to where you live, it's probably fine. Yeah. The roads can be confusing. You being the listener, not yeah. Father Peter lives in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's pretty normal for me. Yeah. But we uh, should probably wrap this let's up. Let's wrap this up. Uh, call to action. Just. Take the next, next step. step. What, next what is step. next step for you when it comes to adoration? Are you already going? Take the next step in intimacy with our Lord. Ask these same questions. If if Joseph's story spurred you on, am I joyful? Or why am I not joyful? If I, Father Peter's questioning about humility and pride, and you're wondering, are you prideful? The answer is yes. Yes. Am I prideful? But how yes. so? How so? Where and how? Mm. And what to do? That's right. And what, yeah, why are you prideful? Yeah, yeah of what? <laughs> like, well, where is that coming from? Yeah, there's usually a reason. That's there's a Saint Jose Maria Escriva line. Oh yeah, of what? You proud of what? That's a good one. <laughs> I think good. about it every yeah. once in a while and so, chuckle. Call to action: take the next step, and our Lord is there, loving you, Waiting. in your poverty, in your vulnerability, in your sins. Let Him love you. He's got silence, vulnerability to offer back to you reverent silence uh, loving vulnerability like this is not normal it, it is not normal for the people that we've sinned against to love us but it should be but it can be when everybody is spending time with our Lord wonderful would you close us in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen, Amen. dear Lord Jesus Christ we give you great thanks for the gift of your presence and the blessed sacrament how you remain with us on our altars exposed and vulnerable to our own vulnerabilities our own insecurities our fears, our anger and our joys we give you great thanks unite ourselves with your thanksgiving to God the Father as we pray glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end, Amen the Lord be with you and with your spirit may Almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 